is this? Ah, the French. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa! Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. Oh, I'm under what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Wenzel. Good night. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Recording from a private car in the Ferris wheel at the Smogville World's Fair, it is World Champion Podcast. My name is Brighton. SLC. And now I'm Sean Black. All right, baby. Dig it, man. We signed a bad contract to be cut. I lost it. <laughs> I never had it. No, I lost it real fast. Uh, I, went for, I went in one, in three words. I went from Liverpudlian mm-hmm. to... To monster. Train spotting to monster. We do, si- do the rest in transatlantic. We signed a bad contract to become the official podcast of the mysterious Smogville World's Fair. Our job is simple. To create the greatest podcast of all time. Now, trapped in a private Ferris wheel with no hope of escape, these two must talk fringe and forgotten pop culture. Mysteries of the Mysterious, music videos, heavy metal, oil boys wrestling, and public television. Perfect. There we go. That wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a slight Smogville accent, too. I liked that. Yeah, it is a, it's a weird Smogville accent. Um, I got to point something out. As, right before I hit record, you plopped down a jar with a giant black widow in it right in front of me. That's true. Why? Did, why? Because that's my new pet. Oh. I, I caught a giant black widow... And then I caught a giant hobo spider, and then I had them battle to the death, and the Black Widow won. And now the Black Widow's gloating. It's huge. It is huge. I didn't know Black Widow's... The reason I caught it is because I didn't realize Black Widow's could get that big. But, I don't know. It's Smogville for you. <laughs> they have the, they're bigger and better at everything, including poisonous... Uh, is it not vermin? Vermin just is rodents, right? Yeah, like those sewer rats we were talking about last week. What would you call a spy- pest? Pest. Poisonous pest. pest. Yeah. To, I, to quote Stan Lee. I like that the jar is branded with your day job. That's true. Did well, you just have a bunch of these around the office? Yeah, well, yeah. They're like, uh, they're supposed to be like moonshine jars. Oh. Like you're supposed to drink out of these. I'm not going to drink out of that one. There's a spider in it. I know. That's, well, it's, a, it's like the ultimate practical joke when you hand someone a jar and it has a poisonous spider in it. Oh, so it they, is. So they think they're drinking some of that moonshine you made, but they're actually swallowing a highly poisonous pest, as we called them. That's floating inside a highly poisonous beverage. Right. Yeah, it's perfect. It's, well, a, it's you, a one-two punch. You don't, even, you don't even put liquid in there. It's like if you, if you hand someone something fast enough, they'll just drink it. You don't even need to have the illusion that there's an alcoholic drink in there. In fact, sometimes I'll, I'll hand someone a jar that has a poisonous spider and a lit cigarette in it. And they just chug it? They don't notice yeah, that it doesn't so, weigh enough? Yeah, and it, the hilarious part is they think they've just been burned by a cigarette, and then it's like one of those practical jokes later when they're in the emergency room. They're like, oh, you are, your heart is seizing up from your high blood pressure from the venom. Oh, okay. That is a really good prank. Are, you, are these on Vine? Are yeah, you vining they, these? These are great. Yeah, you go to my Vine. It's me giving people glasses filled with all kinds of dangerous things. Broken glass, uh, snipped up barbed wire, you know, acid sometimes, both LSD and the kind that melts stuff. Oh, fun, fun, yeah. Someone drinks it. Uh, some, sometimes someone will drink a drink and I'll go, ha ha, you've been had. That was 7,000 hits of LSD. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, this might be funny, like Novocaine? Because then, then they'll, their tongue will be numb all day? That's actually happened to me before. 
What? S- someone squirted Novocaine in my mouth. Or not Novocaine. Is it Novocaine? What do they inject li- you lidocaine, with? Lidocaine, Novocaine, it's something. I don't know. Someone said open your mouth once to me at a party, and I just did. See, this is how I realized that the poison spider drink trick would work. Because <laughs> someone said open your mouth to me, and I just did it. And then someone squirted something in my mouth, and I was like, what was that? And they said, you'll see. And then, and then like five minutes later, my entire mouth was numb, and I was drooling. What kind of awful party is that? Where did they get this that stuff? That was just a, you know, a dentist party. Oh, that makes sense then. <laughs> we, got, we got some laughing gas going. We got some Novocaine. We, we were drilling each other in the teeth, you know? <laughs> just that kind of uh, tomfoolery and, and horseplay. Oh, boy. No candy apples at that party. Mm-mm. Just toothbrushes. That's right. Uh, yeah. The, Floss. <laughs> the party bags were very disappointing. It was a Halloween party. Do you remember those, those pills they gave you in elementary school and you chewed them up and it would show you where all the plaque was on your teeth? Yeah, because your teeth turned purple. Yeah, or red or something. And I would do it in my entire mouth. Every inch of every tooth was purple. <clears throat> I kind of wish that, um, I, you know, I'm going to predict that sometime in the next 50 years, like, colored teeth are going to come into fashion. Oh. Like, think how cool it would be to have, like, like, pink teeth all the time or blue teeth. I used to work with a guy with blue teeth. Really? Yeah. In, like when, that, in that, uh, that ice, like, what, what are the seven kingdoms uh, on, the, on the world tree? Oh, where the ice giants live? Yeah, the so the, it, it, was, was this a frost giant? Did he also have weird, like, spirals on his face no, and blue really, skin? No, he was a really small guy, kind of like, uh, sort of like, like if Steve Carell was a Nazi, this guy looked like that, and he had blue teeth, tiny little blue teeth. Steve Carell was a Nazi? Yeah, like picture is, like a Nazi Steve, is Steve Carell. Carell. Is Steve Carell the 40-year-old virgin? Yeah. So at, at, when you say Nazi, are you talking like a Hitler haircut or like a skinhead neo-Nazi? No, just like a, like, like a crony, like one of Hitler's cronies. Oh, so just kind of a, just a weaselly-looking guy. Yeah, and being blue teeth, really weird. Blue teeth? Not like bright blue, not like the kind of, like, I wish my teeth were like bright blue, like toilet bowl blue, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like a Guardians of the Galaxy alien or something. Yeah, that would be cool, but they were just sort of a subtle kind of cadet blue. Hmm. Why was his teeth blue? Oh, I don't know. They were just kind of sad? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, mean, you, know, you mean literally the color blue? Yeah, the color blue. Like, just... like a Confederate uniform. Sort of that grayish blue. I would have I maybe pressed the issue a bit. If I worked with someone with blue teeth, I would want to know more. I was didn't he, want to w- talk to him. Lo- eating lots of blueberries? Is something like that? No, because then his skin would be blue also. Mm-hmm. It would have been like round and right. rollable. It, like, yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. What, what, Veronica, Veruca Salt? Who, do, who turns purple in Willy Wonka? Uh, the movie? Veruca Salt and Violet Beauregard, and I don't know which one. I think it's which. Violet. What happens to Veruca Salt? She, doesn't she fall in the chocolate and get sucked up the no, tube? No, that's the kid. That's the boy, the fat boy. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wanna, okay. Veruca. Oh, 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 oh. Veruca Salt. She s- wants the golden eggs or something. And she sings a little song, and then she sits on one of the nests, and it, a trap door opens. Oh, yeah, there's some kind of trap door. Does she, like, swirl around, too? I'm not sure about that part. You know those things uh, that are set up for charity, and you, like, put a quarter in, and it swirls around for a long time before falling into the hole? Oh, yeah, you know yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that, I think, with Veruca Salt. Maybe. <coughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, anyway... Let's let's talk about the big Smogville news. The 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 inductee to the Smogville Hall of Fame. I didn't even know we had a Hall of Fame, and I am so excited to explore this and learn more about the inductees, the the who's who of Smogville history. Right. Uh, this year's inductee, Jasper Francis. Yes. 
Um, very historical. Very important figure in rock and roll history. Mm-hmm. Now, you've heard, of course, you know John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the four Beatles. Mm-hmm. And the Fab Four. The Fab Four. And many people have been described as the fifth Beatle. Right. Because there was four of them. You yeah. could, I mean, you could even say it was Stu Sutcliffe, who was literally the fifth Beatle. Well, you could also argue that it was uh, uh, George Martin himself. George Martin, the producer. The producer uh, of all the records. And, and there's also the argument that it's, uh, what's his name? The Billy Preston. Yeah, Billy Preston. I was going to say Billy Preston. Played a lot of keyboard and organs later on. on like the, was it the White Album or later? Uh, I think he came in on the White Album sessions. Yeah. Uh, which, was, which was a great time to join the Beatles. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fun time. Yeah, Ringo walking out. Yeah, people not speaking to each other anymore, recording separately. It's just a fun times. We'll hire Eric Clapton. Who cares? Yeah. So a good time to join the Beatles. But Billy Preston was, uh, he was, uh, he's on that rooftop concert with him too. And is he really? Get back. Yeah. Wow. I'll have to watch that more carefully. I love Billy Preston. His solo stuff's great. But he was he would go around in circles. Any, yeah, oh, dude, his tons of stuff is just fantastic. But you could argue many of these people were the fifth Beatle or the sixth Beatle. But Smogville has Jasper Francis, who they've like done the math. They've they've counted up the numbers, and they're saying that he is the one hundred and eleventh Beatle. He's the one hundred eleventh Beatle, or the eleventy first Beatle. If you Ele- want to get yeah. real cheeky with it, eleventy first. If you want to get kind of psychedelic about it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's really impressive. He owned the farm. Mm-hmm. That uh, it was a tree farm, tree farm, yeah, and, Pri- primarily uh, Christmas trees. But then it was a rough year in 1961 or two. I heard it was the year without a Christmas in yeah. Smogville. So there was all those extra trees. So there was all those extra trees. But uh, according to legend, some of those trees, the wood was used to make the heels of the beetle boots. Yeah, the famous beetle boots. So the wood that was touched by Jasper was also touched by maybe George, maybe Ringo, maybe even uh, some. Some beetle maniac pulling the boots off their feet to give them a foot massage after oh, after be. a concert. Could be, you know this this could be that's wild rock and roll. There's foot massages all over the place. Yeah, but it's just so impressive to to see. Um, he wasn't there. He's uh, he's passed away. Unfortunately, that, that's true. And he was passed away before he found out he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is a huge shame because he was kind of a world traveler. He's well known. He he didn't travel. He didn't actually go to England. To meet the Beatles or or anything, but he did go to Cincinnati for a wedding, and that's pretty far east. I don't know that yeah, I've ever yeah. been east or west. It's it's there's two routes there, but it's yeah, it's a long way from here. And people, he's kind of well known as being the guy that went to Cincinnati that one time. Mm-hmm. And so, no, he was always telling stories about the chili. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was great. That great wedding chili, and <laughs> so I couldn't hold that one in. So so this is a very exciting day because. Because we're talking, like, this is a piece of rock and roll history, and now Smogville is, in a, in a small way, part of the Beatles' legacy. Yeah, it's forever tied to the Beatles' legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the celebration was a screening of Eight Days a Week. Eight Days a Week, the new Ron Howard documentary about the touring years of the Beatles. And yeah. we got tickets. Well, we didn't. Well, we didn't technically get tickets, but the drive-through is close enough that we can see the screen from here. Exactly, and I think we've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. And we're master lip readers, so yeah. it, it was fine that there was no sound or music. Yeah, but we we've heard the Beatles songs enough that we kind of we would kind of hum to each other during the live performances, which was a lot of fun. It was yeah. a hoot. Oh, it was a hoot and a half. Mm-hmm. 
So this uh, this documentary, it's on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know anymore if there's a difference between Hulu and Hulu Plus. Is there still like a I non-paid think, version of Hulu? I just I, I would say just say Hulu because I think anyone that doesn't have Hulu Plus is watching one minute clips of of like Tim and Eric uh, awesome show. Or or yeah, yeah, like yeah. the Saturday Night Live digital shorts. Like you're watching a two minute thing. So any any I'm I'm talking to all those adults out there that have Hulu that actually pay for it. You can yeah. watch the movie at any time. It's in the theaters as well. Yeah, and you should see it in the theaters because it has uh, some bonus footage after the end credits. Mm-hmm. Literally 30 minutes of bonus yes. footage. So it's only in the theaters, and we'll get to that later. Right. And I do want to say that it's the most, the biggest payoff. You watch a Marvel movie, and you sit through 10 minutes of credits to see Samuel L. Jackson say, let's, let's do this. Yeah. It's like 40 seconds. You sit through the credits of eight days a week, you get a 30-minute uh, hit like uh, what's the what's the term? A little stinger. Bonus I was gonna scene. say lost footage, but I, I we'll we'll just as I said, we'll discuss it. As Brighton said, actually. So eight days a week, the Beatles. Uh, I mean, they formed in various versions in the late fifties. Mm-hmm. Probably the Beatles as we know them were active from like sixty two to seventy. Sixty nine. I, I would go. I would go a little earlier, just because I, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna count their their days in Berlin, <laughs> Hamburg. That's that's what I meant. The the, yeah. the cousin of of <laughs> Berlin. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I would say maybe sixty sixty one. But they stopped performing live in nineteen sixty six, and this mm. movie is just about their tours, their American tours, their English tours. That's um, right. So so let's let's let's. I, th- I say we discuss it now. We'll do a yeah, a, a mega m- movie music. Wait, a mega music movie. I want my mini music movies. Mega music movie. <laughs> no, no, we don't say the second one. We just have to say mega at the same time. Ready? Okay. Mega. I want my mega music movies. That worked. Yeah. I probably. Pro- most likely. It'll be fixed in post. Don't worry. We've got a big budget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a cool movie this was! It now, really I, was. Of course, you and I are huge Beatles fans. I don't know mm-hmm. how our listeners feel. I don't. It's kind of weird to not be. I don't think there's anyone that dislikes the Beatles. Mm-hmm. There's maybe people who just haven't gotten around to it. If you don't, and if you don't like them, I don't. I don't care. If you're upset, if you don't like the Beatles, I'm fine with you. Not not like you can turn the show off now. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. It's it's all right. <clears throat> yeah. Um. And so the 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 tagline for this is like the band you know, the story you don't. But I feel like if you have even the slightest interest in the Beatles, you know this story. It's not really groundbreaking or revelatory in ways that maybe the Beatles anthology was. It, it was revelatory in a little, a little, let's say, yeah, that's true. Yeah. on the drive there, I was thinking, why did they even make this? Like, anthology is, what, 10 hours long? Yeah. And that's basically an hour for every year of the Beatles. Most, yeah. So that's, that's a pretty in-depth documentary. But then this really did have... It just focused on part of the Beatles' legacy that I, I, I guess I didn't really think about it that much. I thought about it like Beatles mania is very well known. People went crazy. Everyone's crying and screaming. Yeah. But I guess I just didn't totally understand the level of fame that they actually had. It's absurd. I mean, it. It might. No wonder uh, they got burned out of it because it sounds positively awful. Mm-hmm. It sounded. It, it was. It. It went from being something where you're like, "Wow, these guys are famous," then like, "Wow, that would be amazing," and then pretty soon you're like, "Wow, that would be a waking nightmare you can't get wake up from." Yeah, people clawing at them, mm-hmm. 
literally like clawing at them. And then they said there's no escape because even you get into the hotel and even the cops and the, the mm-hmm. elevator operator mm-hmm. wants a piece of you. And, that, and that's and a, I think those are Paul's exact words is everyone wants a piece of you. I thought it was John that said it, but it yeah. could have been Paul. But uh, that, that was one of the, the parts where it really makes you think. Yeah. Where, where the whoever it was said, everyone wants a PC. They don't want to. They don't like want to want your money or anything, but they want your time. Yeah. And when everyone wants one minute of your time, your entire day is gone. Yeah. Every day. All yeah. Which you think about, like people will complain, like, oh, this asshole celebrity didn't take a photo with me at the airport. Yeah. And then you think, well, you're also one of 5,000 people that want a 30-second photo op. Yeah. And if you add up all those 30 seconds, it's all the time. Yeah. It's 100% of your time posing with morons. And think, think if you're an actor, like how many times some douchebag comes up to you and says a line from your movie from 20 years yeah. ago and expects you to be super excited about it. Right. And, and the thing that's funny is, you, is a lot of times you think maybe the actors didn't even actually care about the movie at all that never occurred to me for a long time oh yeah where i thought that every every single film was like this this passion for the actor yeah and it never occurred to me that they'd be like oh four million dollars okay what's it about oh i I play a lion a lion tamer fine okay three weeks in london great okay who cares okay then do i have to read about lions i'll wing it and then people come up here on the street going come on say it say it and you're like say 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 that lion oh mm -hmm. this lion's tamed yeah you're like, like, God, that movie came out 15 years ago. I read I'm just trying to get a bagel. I read that uh, <coughs> Sir Alec Guinness. Yeah, I read he he pretty famously thought Star Wars was awful, rubbish, didn't, rubbish. Didn't care about it. And I, I I heard that his one of his biggest life regrets was being in Star Wars because because yeah. he, he went from an entire career of this prestigious stage actor Shakespearean. Yeah. Like classically trained actor in all kinds of famous movies, and for the for the last maybe twenty years of his life, it was just like use the force. Tell me to use the force. Yeah. Tell me to use the force. And he's just, yeah. I just so you think like that's a kind of a nightmare world you're slipping into as well. Yeah. Where where everyone knows you for something you actually don't care about. Yeah. Oh God, I read an interview with Harrison Ford once where the first question was. Like, you're walking down the street, and you get mugged, and you have a whip in one hand and a lightsaber in the other. What do you use to defend yourself? And Harrison Ford was like, I'm an actor, <laughs> and lightsabers aren't real. <laughs> that was his answer? Yeah, pretty much. Isn't Harrison Ford famously known for not watching his own films? Yeah. What, do you think that's true? <laughs> do you think he's never seen Star Wars or, or Raiders of the Lost Ark? That can't possibly be true, I mean, right? that's weird because each episode of the podcast I listen to four or five times. That's right. Of this show. Our, yeah. We, we comb over it, it just it, with each listen, our ego is just getting bigger and bigger. We're, we find new layers, you know, mm-hmm. things we didn't notice the first time around. Yeah. It, it's like, I, I think I pulled something patting myself on the back last week. It was like, my oh, shoulder yeah. has been weird in my neck and I'm just pounding myself on the back. Yeah. So the idea of absolutely not seeing, oh yeah, I didn't bother to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Is that possible? You weren't just curious how it came together? Yeah, I would even be curious just to see, like, well, let's see what happened with this. Let's see if those rubber snakes look even remotely real. Yeah, let's see which take they use. Even curiosity like that. Yeah. But, I don't know, could be true. He's also famously the the biggest closet stoner in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Which, is it obvious? I think, yeah, whenever you see interviews with him, and he's just... Uh, Yeah, recently he he was on uh, Conan O'Brien or something where he confronted... 
Chewbacca. Maybe yeah. recently, like five years ago. Well, and that's kind of a, a good point with the Beatles, too. Mm-hmm. Is this, this movie that shows their tours and their evolution, the time frame depicted in the movie is like a year and a half. No, it's unbelievable. First of all, let's, let's, get to, let's check off all the unbelievable things. They were required by their record label to record an album every six months and have a new song every three months. A new yeah, single. a new single. So you and just, they would only get two weeks off between touring to do those things. It's un, it's, it's, and then it's f- for the quality of what they put out, it's yeah. almost... To have the greatest band in the world do that right now, yeah. it would be unbelievable just, just for them to keep that schedule. But then to have every song be one of the greatest songs ever written, yeah. it, it's just, maybe, that's, maybe that's what it takes. So that was one of my favorite scenes as they talk about a day in the studio. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, you know, we'd get there at 10, spend half an hour like tuning up, having a cigarette, mm-hmm. having a cup of tea. Then uh, we'd all gather around and John or Paul or both of them would present their song. Mm-hmm. And, and it would just be like the, some chords and some harmonies. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then it would have, uh, would have like until, until lunchtime to finish the song. Right. And then they'd record it that afternoon. Right, and they were expected to have a <laughs> full, full song finished in a day at the studio. Yeah. Which, which you think about rock stars now. I always kind of assumed that when rock stars go to the studio, they have... And, th- and when I was in a band, this was the case for my band. All the songs were already written. We wrote, yeah. we wrote songs at practice. Yeah. And then would practice them and practice. And by the time we, we went to the studio, they were pretty much done there's a level of of studio experimentation that's really an amazing kind of thing yeah and a fantastic creative process but the idea of going into the studio and you've just got okay i've got three chords uh and i think paul again paul or john said in the film that they the first few few years their their uh all their lyrics they just absolutely didn't care about. They just thought they something about love. Yeah, they'd just be like, love, baby. Yeah, you. love you, baby. Baby, I love you. Yeah. You know it's true. And so, it, so they made it sound like the lyrics they didn't really give a shit about very yeah. much. So you're, you're just trying to write these catchy tunes from the time you wait. I, I can't even function in the morning. Yeah. I wake up and I feel like I've just, like, like I'm Dracula. Like raising <laughs> yeah. from the dead. Yeah, I drink coffee, and if I'm lucky by noon, I'm I, I'm just semi like coherent. I can't imagine you wake up and by noon you have to have a classic song written for the radio. Yeah, for the radio. <laughs> yes, for millions of people to for buy. For millions, this is this is a lot of pressure. So it shows them sort of demonstrating eight days a week. It's just John and Paul goofing off. They each got guitars. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's the song, and it sounds. It's interesting because it just sounds like goofing off, and then eventually you're like, oh, it's eight days a week. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound anything like the final version. Right. And a lot of that could have been the fifth Beatle, George Martin. Yeah. He he seems like he really, he was like the best kind of producer. Yeah. He let them do their thing, but at the same time, he was putting in ideas and everything. Yeah. But... um... But yeah, so the movie basically shows the the rise and fall of this. They're so happy go lucky mm-hmm. and just goofy and they're best buddies. And uh the movie d- doesn't get into any sort of rifts between the band, which is nice. It's a feel good movie. Well, it sort of ends before they're like it yeah. it, it ends but it also skips. It goes from like 66 to 69 because it's specifically just about live performance. It's about live performance. And that's what's really great about it is yeah. you don't realize <laughs> that I there there's a a documentary about Fugazi called Instrument. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is also, uh, I think it's, is it Malcolm Gladwell who has the 10,000 hours theory? Yeah. 
it, it falls into that same thing where Fugazi talked about when they were a band, this is post Minor Threat, they decided to treat the band like a job. So they would go into the, the uh, practice space and they would, they would literally do eight hour days of practice yeah. every five days a week. Yeah. And they did this to the point that they were just like, just unbelievable. And that's the, the time in Hamburg for the Beatles was that. They were playing eight hours yeah. a day, six days a week, yeah. eight days a week even yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And, and by the time they were, you know, they, were, they start, they become, by the time they became the famous Beatles proper as we know them now, the, yeah. with the matching suits and the mop tops, they had put in, you know, a few years of, of constant practice. Yeah. And so it, it was, I don't know, it's, it really adds a lot of, of um, what's the word? credibility to that theory of 10,000 hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too. Brian Epstein, I feel like, always gets the short end of the oh, stick talking about the Beatles' legacy. Before you continue, I guess yeah. we should explain what the 10,000 hours theory is to oh, people yeah, not familiar yeah. with it. Go yeah. ahead. I don't know. Well, the theory is, is after <laughs> 10,000 10, hours of practice, you are good at your craft. Yeah, at that point, you have, like, I don't, I don't know if, they, if the word is mastered your craft, mm-hmm. but it's like you are competent at this now. Yeah, well, you, you at least can do it. Yeah. We we uh, on this show we were way ahead of the curve. We we went by the one hundred hours. Thing. Yeah, and that was one hundred hours of preparation where we didn't record, and then the first recording we'd already. Episode one of World Champion Podcast was one hundred hours of practice. Yeah, do you think we'll ever release episodes negative uh, one hundred through zero? No, <coughs> no. I feel like. And I have the tapes in the storage unit, but that's right. Well, th- those will come out after our deaths. It'll oh be, yeah, it'll be like an, an anthology thing. Yeah. we can hear us goofing around. Maybe and... tugboat will will mm-hmm. add a piano track and mm-hmm. finish it up. Yeah, um, yeah. Ten thousand hours of doing something, whether it's drawing or playing guitar or whatever. And I kind of believe it's true. Fugazi are are an amazing band. The Beatles, by the time they, you know, they they, they were, how old do you think they were when they started in like sixty one or sixty two? They've got to be like twenty, right? Yeah, 22 twenty two. Twenty, so. twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. But they were they were like the caliber of musicians of probably mid thirties. Yeah. If you're just a casual musician, because mm-hmm. they they'd put in the hours. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Brian Epstein. They mentioned him just kind of briefly, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's such an interesting character. He's always there answering the phone and keeping them in line. And he's the one who bought him the suits and really crafted the image. Mm-hmm. And It uh, was interesting to see him at the side of the stage at concerts. Even. I love that. Yeah, that was such a dramatic shot. Because you're thinking that, that, I don't know what I thought, but I just think of managers as, as doing that stuff. And then like, oh, I've seen you a zillion times. I don't need to be at the concert. Yeah. But I guess if you're that famous, you need someone to make sure that everything's running smoothly. Yeah. Because their lives may have been on the line. <laughs> yeah, and they got him, and then they have uh, the press agent. What's his name? Andy Ta- Derek Taylor. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Uh, Neil Aspinall, other fifth Beatles. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite of Elvis, because Elvis had the Colonel, who seems like he may have been a sociopath. Yeah, the Colonel was just really <laughs> stealing his money. He stole his he? money. He he ensured that that Elvis was completely surrounded by yes men. Yeah, who kept him in this fantasy world. He he ensured that Elvis was constantly medicated on every drug, maybe literally every drug. Yeah, per, I don't per, I don't perhaps, know how many yeah. drugs there are, but I'm pretty sure that the Colonel ensured that Elvis was on all of them. Yeah, and this the Beatles world was kind of the opposite. It sounds like. Sounds like everyone was kind of looking out for their best interest and trying to yeah. nurture them in the in the proper way. Yeah, there was nothing in the movie about any sort of uh, 
uh, wild rock and roll behavior, which I don't know mm. if they're just trying to to make it um, like family. I mean, family I, I, or well, I, mean, I guess or? there probably weren't cameras around. With that. I mean, they had to. There had to be a time where they went out to nightclubs and got drunk and met women and stuff. I'm right? amazed. I'm amazed. There's no footage about Beatles womanizing, which to me seems inevitable, and it seems yeah. You are so famous that every single girl, literally on earth, will will sleep with you. Yeah, and there's no accounts of orgies. And maybe they weren't. Maybe they're just four they're nice just young so men. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also when they'd show them in the hotel room, it was like so crowded. Oh yeah. Like it, it really like... seemed like they just got one hotel suite for everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it kind of seems like by the time they were done practicing, recording, touring this this breakneck schedule, they probably were so exhausted they couldn't make love. Yeah. They probably, a girl would start undoing a, the belt, and then it would be. Yeah, isn't wait? Isn't that in Indiana Jones actually? Uh, oh I'm, yeah, I'm pretty in, sure in that's Raiders a, on I'm the pretty boat. sure that's a scene. Yeah, yeah, I think where so. they're gonna do it, and and just Indiana Jones is just too tired. Yeah, well, that's that was inspired by the Beatles. Yeah. I like when uh, they're doing one of those chaotic press conferences, and they ask. John, his name, and he says Eric, and he's like, I'm here with Eric of the Beatles. <laughs> that was great. And he's like, no, it's John. He's John. It's a joke. Yeah. I'm not Eric. I'm John. And, and what does he say? He's like, millions of people are watching, and he's like, no, it looks like just one guy yeah, he's holding so a camera. It's just one. He's holding a camera. No, yeah. John was surprisingly funny. And he seemed nice. Like, he, I, I've always heard that he's... Difficult. Yeah, but they, they seem to all be getting along just fine. But I think these rumors <laughs> of being difficult are, peop, are snubbed people that wanted to wanted a photo with him and he didn't have time. Yeah, probably. Literally didn't have time. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, what a jerk. Well, that's what I love too is, and again, it's amazing. We have to talk about this. Only one year passes from mm-hmm. them being like fresh-faced and happy to suddenly being like dark circles under their eyes. Yeah. Angry, bitter. One year. It's pretty amazing. Six... I'm wearing a shirt I bought in 2013 right now. Right. And I don't even know. It feels recent. Yes. But no, in that time frame, if I was the Beatles, I would have released six albums that all sound completely different from each other mm-hmm. and changed my personal style nine times. Yeah. And it's, uh, they, they, they addressed it a little bit in the show saying that they grew up at an accelerated pace. Yeah. Which I guess is true. Because it, it, it is, you see them early on, they're cute little chubby-faced guys, they're adorable with their yeah. little mop tops, and you're talking two years later, suddenly they've got long hair, and they're in the studio just on oh all kinds God. of that, drugs. That was my favorite, is it, after their final concert at Candlestick Park, mm-hmm. and they're talking about how they all looked at each other and just agreed, like, this is it, we don't want to do these terrible concerts anymore. Which, if you talk about that concert, they were... It was they couldn't hear anything. It was madness. Yeah. They were forced to leave directly when they got done in a meat truck, right? It was yeah, like a, a meat a meat wagon. It was like literally a, a meat wagon. And and it was like reinforced steel around yeah. it and they had to drive out because they were just And almost run over people. Yeah, just like that just sounds awful. And all these places there's bomb threats and all this stuff yeah. and, and during their later tours. And so then it fades to black and then it says three months later and it fades back up and all of a sudden They've yeah. all got mustaches. Like, yeah. I laughed out loud because it's like three mm-hmm. months later. Ah, mustaches. Mustaches. Yeah. They're like, they... all right, guys, it's time. Mustaches. And, the, and they just look so, <laughs> they do look so much more grown up. They got mustaches. They've got like teased out hair, mm-hmm. brightly colored rainbow pants, big scarves. Like, they just, re- it's like they just overnight changed their look. It's the thing weird. That, the thing that's pretty fascinating to me, when I, when I was a kid and I would always, when I was a real little kid, I, I sort of thought, I think subconsciously I thought the world was black and white before 1965. Yeah, it was. But it was actually black and white. Yeah. 
And I, it's still hard as an adult for me to imagine the world being in color. I just picture it black and white. No, the world was then. black and white, and before that, the world was in color, but it was a painting. So, yes. So the like, tra- before the Civil War, the world was in color, mm-hmm. but it was a painting. That's true. And Great. then the Civil War is when it turned black and white. Yeah, I, I'd say that's accurate. So the same time that color TV comes along <coughs> seems to coincide with the same time where people start dressing in insane colors. Oh, that makes perfect sense, of course. So it just, like, like you said, they're, the, they're in four gray Beatles suits, matching suits. Yeah. Three months go by in the mid-60s, and suddenly they're dressed like they cut their outfits out from like a parachute or something. <laughs> yeah, it's hot like, air balloon. It's like a hot, yeah, hot air balloon outfits. And that's the same time the, the world's suddenly in color. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's why. That's Is that 60, why? Yeah, that and, and the drugs. It must have been the drugs because it was such an incredibly transitional time. Because early 60s just looks like late 50s. It's, everyone yeah. still looks kind of clean cut. Even their mop tops, which were such a wild haircut, are kind of hilariously quaint at this point. Oh, yeah. But then, well, I guess everyone had a flat top. You know, before them that, yeah, everyone's got the a crew they cut. They got a crew cut before 1960. Everyone's Johnny Unitas out there. Yeah, asking like, when are you going to get a haircut? Yeah. I, I had one yesterday. Yeah, that was And then everyone God. laughs. Yeah. They were so clever. So it's just so strange to see them transform that quickly. And it's just like the whole world went from the 1950s to just being, you know, this yellow submarine, all this crazy shit <laughs> in the late 60s. Yeah. Like, just look at, look at the cover of Magical Mystery Tour. This is two years after, you know, like, Help. It was. It was two years after Help. Gosh. And they're dressed as, they're dressed as in costumes, the rainbow colors and crazy lighting and, and stars. I mean, it almost looks like a joke. Like, if someone said... Hey, hey, you're a graphic designer. Make something that looks like it's uh, from the 60s. Mm-hmm. That's what they'd come up with. And, th- and, that's, and you'd say, like, no, nah, it's too much. And that's, I'm glad you pointed that out because watching them in their brightly color- colored clothes right after they decided to stop touring in the film, my first thought was these are, like, actors pretending to be 60s, yeah. like, people. Because yeah. it's, it's so extreme, it looks like it's got to be a joke. Yeah, suddenly they're dressed like Louis XIV mm-hmm. in rainbow. Right. Oh, my God, with mustaches. Well, that's the funny part, too, is they hire this, like, serious journalist, or they don't hire him, they invite him to document their U.S. tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really interesting, because he's he's interviewed, and he was reluctant to do it, because he's a serious journalist. Yeah. But then just talking about how amazing it was, and how the world has never seen, or never will see anything like it. Yeah. And then their next U.S. tour is when they discovered drugs, Mm -hmm. and to hear the recording where, I, I wish I could remember what it was, but John just keeps repeating the same line over and over again. Like, just remember. a classic stoned guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he says it like, he's like, we're blowing the scene wide open, man. Yeah. And then he says it again, and then, like, Paul chimes in with something, and John says it again. We're blowing the scene wide open, man. Yeah, they're cl- clearly suddenly stoned in all the yeah. interviews. super stoned. And then help. Yeah. <coughs> Which they, they were like, we don't want to make this movie, so we're just going to be stoned all the time. And I want to rewatch it. Help, when I was a kid, Help was my favorite Beatles I loved movie. Help, yeah. Ringo getting the ring stuck on his finger. <laughs> so goofy. It's, it's so goofy. I loved it. Calling them the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I recommend it. Go see it. It, it. If nothing else, it shows you how just the, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's catching this moment in time that maybe will never be repeated. The, the idea of, like, it was just this unbelievable level of fame, which I can't imagine. Well, I mean, I guess Michael Jackson sort of had it. Maybe. Well, he totally had it. But but before this, it, it, there was nothing like it really. But now there's YouTube and Vine, mm-hmm. I and mean, everything's so spread out. Like there, you know, there's famous Vine people. 
Yeah, and but I don't I mean, want to sound like an old man yelling at a cloud. I'm just saying that the entertainment world is so spread out that someone there's someone who's famous and has millions of fans that you and I have never heard of. Yeah, but but I mean millions of fans, and then there's literally every person on earth knows you. Right. You that's what, what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying is it just can't happen again. It just can't happen again. There's too many different avenues of something, entertainment now. Something that I found most fascinating is when their final tour, they start. They were so popular that they had to book them at stadiums. And it's the first yeah. time musicians had ever played it at sporting it's event just, stadiums. Yeah, it's so crazy that there's just no concept of what a rock concert is. Right. And, and like, it had never occurred to me there was a time where seeing a band in a stadium was unheard of. Yeah. It, uh, during the film, it was kind of blowing my mind. I was thinking, yeah. wow. Like, because they talk about, even the little news reports they're playing are like, oh, there are 38,000 people showed up to, you know, yeah. whatever stadium it was. And you're thinking that this is... This is unheard of because no well, one has up to that point been that famous. And it's so crazy that they're playing at a baseball stadium and mm. the lights are just the baseball lights. Right. They're not like theatrical mm. lights. They're on a little stage uh, like on the pitcher's mound or in mm. second base with this big baseball field around them. Mm. So they didn't put seats on the field. Right. So even if you have a front row seat, you're like 50 yards away from the Beatles. And, and then, then all the girls screaming and passing out and bloody. And they're, and they're surrounded by cops <laughs> trying to corral all the people running towards the stage. Yeah. Trying to tackle people, trying to, who knows what they're trying to do? Yeah. Attack them? Pull their hair? Well, I, I mean, we know what one of them tried to do eventually and no, succeeded. That's right. Stephen King. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We should talk about that in a minute. Um, yeah, we will. Uh, and Ringo saying that he couldn't hear their own music. Mm-hmm. So he... Uh, he had, had to watch them and guess where the song was. He said he would watch George and and or not George. He'd watch Paul and and uh, John's butts. Yeah. So when they'd wiggle at certain part, he knew they were going like ooh yeah. or something. Yeah. Which that's terrifying. The drummer is the backbone of a band. If the drummer doesn't know where you are in the song, you're not going to sound that great. And what about when they show up on stage and then the drum sets backwards and they have to wait? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're like ready to play and they're like, wait, why turn is the this drum around. Set backwards. It's. It's kind of unbelievable. And this goes back to maybe the 10,000 hours thing. I couldn't believe how good they sounded live. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I could not believe it. Yeah. Like, I, I'd never watched a lot of live performances. And I'd heard a lot of their performances. The, the screaming was so loud they couldn't hear themselves. So I assumed that they'd be way out of tune, you know, just not playing that well. But they sounded, some of the songs sounded like they were just playing the album. It was kind of unbelievable for me how good they were. So should we talk about the the concert, the post credits scene? Yeah, let's go. We we've talked enough about the movie, so let's go to a different. Yeah, segment. so you wait through the credits, and then in wait, the wait, theater. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're we're done talking about the movie now. We're gonna t- we're gonna blow your speakers. And talk about the live concert. Yes, there we go. So after the credits is the Shea Stadium concert, the mm. first ever stadium rock concert. 56,000 people. Yeah, filmed in 1965. Uh, the Beatles at Shea Stadium. So this was a documentary that was made and aired on the BBC in 1966. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never been on uh, VHS or DVD. Never been released to the public in, in some format where you could own it. Yeah, I mean, there's like bootlegs that have been passed around, but mm-hmm. this is uh, remastered. Uh, they, they list a bunch of technical stuff that I don't understand because I'm, I'm not really a techie. I'm really curious about it because 
you know, you stay after the credits. It's a 30-minute concert. It sounds unbelievable. They sound so good. And I was questioning whether this was actually the audio from the concert. I almost couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, it's the audio from the concert in, I don't know, 4K sound. Which what does 4K if you know, mean? I have no idea, but it's, it sounds impressive. I don't all, even know what remastered means. If they would have told me it's, it's remastered in Warhammer 40K, I could have maybe figured it out. But just <laughs> yeah. 4K? Yeah. Is that a new thing? That's an, I mean, it's, it's a thing. Like, oh, you, get, you shoot 4K yet? You got those new 4K cameras? <laughs> means something. I haven't even jumped on Blu-ray yet. I, like, don't care. VHS, yeah, VHS is good enough for me. That's, that's the <laughs> quality of audio and visual that I'm fine with. <laughs> and not even, not even direct VHS. I mean, if you recorded Predator off, off TV with the commercials, that's good enough quality for well, me. Well, both of us, too, because of our rock and roll lifestyles, we have bad hearing and bad vision. It's true. So what do we need this for? We can't and, see it and, and hear it anyway. bad attitudes. It definitely bad attitudes. That's why they call us BA. <laughs> bad audio. Bad audio dynamite. Uh, but it looks so cool in the 35 millimeter footage, which just looks so it's beautiful. Rich, where you can see the dust in the lights, and it, and it's worth it seeing in the theater, seeing yeah. the film in the theater. You can watch it on Hulu, but I, I, if you're even slightly a Beatles fan, see it in the theater. See it in the theater. Well, and then you get you don't get that Shea Stadium concert on Hulu. That's right. You only get that in the theater. It's 30 minutes long. Now this, um, this they is... did they did cut out two songs okay. from the actual concert. But still, can you imagine that big of hoopla for a concert that's less than an hour long? Yeah, that, and that was my question. The, the, the friend I went with, I was saying, how long was that concert? Did these people really filter into a stadium, pay X amount of dollars for a 30-minute concert? Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg. Like opening bands play for 30, 30 minutes. Yeah. That's not even a headlining amount of time. Yeah. I, I feel like hour is minimum for headlining a concert these days. At least. And that's if you're... I mean, like... They, so they played 12 songs, so not in the movie were uh, a Carl Perkins cover, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, and then they played She's a Woman during the end credits. They didn't show that performance. Okay. What I thought was weird is it's mostly John songs. Okay. I well, thought it would be a let, mix let's of John go, and Paul. Let's go through the songs. We all know the, yeah, every so, title. So yeah, so they run out. They open with Twist and Shout. A, a classic. Yeah. And I feel like they only did like half of it. Hmm. It seemed like it went by really fast. It's I not even that long of a song. A lot of those early Beatles songs and covers are like one like, minute and 37 seconds. Yeah, it's you weird. Know? Yeah. So they probably played. I can't imagine them not playing the whole thing. Why would they not play the whole song? Yeah. I guess they had that 30-minute schedule to keep to. Yeah, exactly. So they said, Brian well, Epstein's looking at his watch. Yeah, we'll just do one verse and one chorus. Uh, I Feel Fine. That's a good one. Uh, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, a cover. I don't like. I don't like Dizzy Miss Lizzie. I've never liked it. I don't like any of their rock and roll covers, like their Little Richard covers yeah. and stuff. And that's one of the last ones they did because that's the last song on Help, which is one of my oh, favorite yeah. Beatles records. Yeah. I, I love Help, but it, I just feel it ends on this really annoying song. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Well, oh, it's who even did it originally? It's Larry Williams. He he, he also wrote um, <laughs> Boy, My Boy, or Boy. Bad Boy. There's a song, an early Beatles song that's like called Boy or, or Bad Boy. There's Boys with it. Ringo Sings. Boys. That might, that might be it. Yeah. And that was a girl group song and Ringo's singing about boys. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. they always talked about it later. Like, it's, I guess it was kind of weird. But I'm up there <laughs> going, I'm talking about boys. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the same uh, writer. Yeah. Uh, Ticket to Ride. Oh, God. Can you imagine seeing Ticket to Ride live? Yeah. Then finally, Paul sings a song, Can't Buy Me Love. Mm-hmm. 
another classic. I guess there's no point in just commenting on each song being good or a classic yeah. because they all are. Well, what's weird? Then they do Babies in Black, which is or which is on Beatles for Sale. So they're doing what they don't do is I want to hold your hand, uh, love me mm. do. Well, uh, this she is loves you. Please, please me. So they're really doing like some deep cuts, some well, some non singles on the Shea Stadium <laughs> uh, tour. Wasn't that when they were just sick of? At this point, weren't they just sick of touring and pissed? I mean, maybe and it was. You see a rock concert now, and you want to hear the greatest hits. Mm-hmm. But maybe back then the mindset was like, I mean, if they're releasing two albums a year, maybe the mindset of the managers and record labels like, no, I got to keep it fresh. That's possible. I want to hold your, like if you if it's the very possible. We're playing now. And they didn't do I Want to Hold Your Hand. You'd feel ripped off. That's their biggest song. Yeah, but, but at but the back time, then, Hold pr- Your Hand was only two years old. You know, It's like, a, yeah, it's a year and a half old. And you're like, oh, come on, this again? Yeah, we've heard this a million times. Because yeah. Babies in Black wasn't a single. Babies in Black's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> I was kind of amazed they played it live. because It's on, it's on Beatles for Sale? Yeah. I have it on like Beatles 6 or Beatles something. Beatles 6. That's what John kept saying is this is on Beatles 6. I have Beatles 6 and I'm not sure what it is cuz I know it's yeah. I think it's an album that was only released in the UK or something. There was a bunch of weird stuff. The official canon is their UK albums. Okay. But then in the US in the 60s they were all repackaged and renamed. Maybe that's what Beatles covers. 6 is. Yeah, cuz I think I have a vinyl of Beatles 6. And also. it ha- and it has different it has songs that are on other albums mm-hmm. for sure. Like most of the songs are on other albums. Well, and it has the singles. Their singles were never on the albums. Mm-hmm. That kind that's of That's why you got to get past masters. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I was looking into I don't even know why. Every 6 months I'm I'm researching the Beatles heavily since I was born. Yeah. But about 6 months ago I was looking into a certain song and it blew my mind that it wasn't on any any album, and then I was like, "Oh, this is just a different world." Like singles were were kind of the king, an album was kind of just a collection of bullshit. Yeah, but I mean, they they wanted to put out those singles every three months. Yeah, so yeah, B- Babies in Black. God, what a great song! Uh, then they turn it over to Ringo for "Act Naturally." I love that song. It's a good song, sort of country song. Yeah, Ringo. That's also on Help. Maybe they're just playing yeah. stuff off Help because because that's. Did they play Help itself? They did, yeah, right? Yeah, because then they do A Hard Day's Night, and they act like it's a classic. Like, <laughs> you know, this, this here's an old one from six months ago. <laughs> and then they do Help, and then close it with I'm Down, which is a great song. Mm-hmm. What's I'm Down on? Is that Rubber Soul? It's... Oh, that was uh, the B-side of Help. Okay. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. So you got to get the past masters. I've got everything, pretty <laughs> much. I was looking on my, my computer, and I have, like, 50 Beatles albums. I had all the compact discs. Mm-hmm. Every one of them on vinyl. I'm like really slowly trying to get them on vinyl. I'm not, I like to collect records because mm-hmm. I like, um, but like I, I'm not an audiophile. You know, I have a very run of the mill system. Well, we were talking about our, our hearing is severely damaged. No, it really. And so is. I don't think I could even hear the high ends on. I've never yeah. really been able to tell. People say there's a big warmth on on vinyl over digital, but I, I just don't think over all the ringing in my head, I can hear that. Well, I like the, I like it because I like the hissing and the popping. Cause it's I like, too. it's like this time travel kind of thing. It's like watching predator that you recorded off TV. Yeah. So I don't, I'm trying to find the white album and I know I could spend 40 bucks and get the new remastered version, mm-hmm. but I'm fine if I can just find like a $9 secondhand version that's scratched. And yeah, cause I have the CDs. I have the digital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many different formats do I have these in? I have the tapes. I was buying the tapes in junior high. Mm-hmm. Then I got the CDs. Now I'm buying. I'm doing this all backwards. Well, now I'm buying records. I have multiple copies of some of the CDs because in like 2010, they again remastered with the original audio tapes, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that means. It just means turn it up. Yeah, I think so. And then they were selling them at like 7-Eleven and Starbucks and shit. 
Yeah. So I bought Abbey Road at Seven Eleven, and I was like, "Oh, good, my sixth copy of Abbey Road." Well, but it uh, really did sound different. You could really hear the bass. I have the uh, <coughs> the mono and stereo versions of every album. Oh yeah, do, that's do, a thing too. Do you prefer mono or well, stereo? Well, mono was the ori- the way it was originally done for those first few albums. So, well, to me, stereo can be a little bit unsettling if mm-hmm. you put it on because the way some of the Beatles records are mixed, you will have a hundred percent of the singing in one ear. It wouldn't. It yeah. won't be mixed where the singing is kind of floating in the middle of your head which is yeah. a lot of albums are that way yeah you'll have paul singing in one ear and the lead guitar in completely in the the right ear yeah and it, i don't know it just i find it kind of unsettling sometimes <coughs> if you're listening to stereo not in headphones i like it but in headphones yeah. i prefer the mono well and i think if you're a purist i might be talking out my my we're, t- we're talking here. what do you mean we i'm a smogville purist we this is the home of jasper francis but the 111th beetle i think the two the true purists want the mono versions because that's what they were originally mm-hmm. and that's what i kind of prefer but it wasn't it wasn't all of them right wasn't it just up to a certain point i have every album obviously in like mono. What? oh okay but I but I don't know if maybe maybe the monos are now made in like maybe they didn't weren't released originally maybe Abbey oh, Road they're like let's do a mono mono yeah let's do a mono version of Abbey Road to release at Starbucks in two thousand six yeah. yeah so it's possible I'm not sure I'm not that much of a or I've really researched it I did get Let It Be Naked which I find fascinating oh my god yeah I was just talking to my girlfriend about that because uh, she was like bringing it up like well naturally mm. you've heard that and I. Very sheepishly admitted. You just haven't gotten around to that yet. Oh, you haven't heard it. That came out like 10 years ago. Yeah. It, I just haven't gotten around to they it They basically yet. stripped out the heavy Phil Spector production. Yeah. Because he added all kinds. I've always thought that some of the later Beatles songs were really weird, and I didn't know that it, they were that Phil Spector had got his hands <laughs> on them and done his wall of sound bullshit. Yeah. And so you've got songs like The Long and Winding Road has all... Has a full has like orchestra. Full it orchestra. Sounds like a, like a bad like romance movie. Yeah, soundtrack. and I, that always struck me as odd when I heard it, yeah. and I didn't know. You know, I'm a, I'm apparently enough of a purist that I re- realized something was wrong. Yeah, but and, not enough to read the. Credits. But not enough to actually research this. Well, know. that's such a weird thing because Let It Be came out last, mm-hmm. and Let It Be is really when they fell apart. But they actually kind of R- got their shit together to record Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. And then that was really the last thing they did, but it came out before Let It Be. Right. Wasn't Let It Be recorded before Abbey Road? Right. But never released. So, because it was just such a mess. Well, they had to cut out all the fist fighting. So yeah. there, were, there was a lot of just like, like tambourines being hit and like shaken yeah. and like... And like drums, like big drums, because it was a fist fight in the studio constantly. Right. And so they were trying to, to edit that out. It took a lot of hours, a lot of a lot of manpower. Well, and Paul was like, "Let's uh, let's film this, and you mm-hmm. know, be the Beatles getting back to their rock and roll roots." Right. And, and then uh, it just and turned instead in... it just captured them just like yelling at each other. Like there's a famous clip where George is like, "Just tell me how to play it, and I'll play it, Paul." Yeah. He's it's, like, no. He's like, what? I'm sick of this. Just tell me what you want me to do. It was. It's like the 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 <laughs> world star hip hop website where it's just videos of people fist fighting, like it was the original one of those. Yeah. It is. It is really tense. It's kind of unpleasant to watch because you view the Beatles as being these like four guys, best friends, this peace, love, and happiness. Yeah. And then you get to the later days when they're recording that stuff, and it's really an unpleasant part of anthology. Yeah. Where they're arguing. Ringo quits. And then, and then what's John's reaction to Ringo quitting? Oh, no, no. It's uh, George quits, right? No, Ringo quits because he was always, and that was like a big deal because he was always the most mild-mannered. Right. If you've pushed Ringo over the edge, yeah. then you've, you've seriously done some messed up stuff. Yeah. 
But I mean, doesn't George quit at one point and then and then John just says something like, "Well, we'll just get Eric Clapton." Like, fuck him. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's something really like flippant where you should be upset, yeah. but you just say, "Oh, we'll get another rock star because I'm a rock star and we all hate yeah. each other." Yeah. Now I've uh, been to Abbey Road, the studio in London. Oh yeah. And I've recreated the photo. Sadly, yeah, sadly, I was there with just one other friend, so it's me walking across the street alone. I nailed it pretty Someone good. Someone had to take the pic. So you recreated the Paul is Live yeah. album. Paul is Live, no other members. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty spot on. My friend stood in the middle of the road. So it's a, it's, maybe I'll try to find it and post it on our Instagram. Yeah, do that. And, uh, but here's something you don't expect. The street next to Abbey Road is like the goddamn Autobahn. Yeah. It, I was shocked. Cars are zooming by constantly. Yeah. It's like, it's like trying to go to the middle of the freeway. And, and do an album cover. Yeah. I thought it would be this lazy, like, country road. No, this is a, yeah. a, a busy street in London. The reason I know this is because there's a live webcam 24 hours a day mm-hmm. of the crosswalk. It's, it's pretty so funny fun to, to watch. watch. Yeah, I've no watched mat- it before. Yeah, no matter when you click on it, there's people sheepishly trying to do the thing. And, like, running out of the way and cars honking. Yeah. It's, yeah, I've spent a full work days where I've just had it going on my computer at work. Yeah, me too. To just randomly watch people try to cross Abbey Road. Yeah, Yeah, but it's... I don't know. If you're a Beatles fan, there's something magical about seeing it. It's, it's almost surreal to go there and to see the studio. Yeah. And, and there's graffiti all over the wall around the outside, and it's all just peace signs and yeah. let it be and all this stuff. You know, it's great. Besides just the Beatles, like so much interesting stuff was recorded at those studios. Really? Yeah, like a bunch of stuff that I'm not able to think of right now. Off the top of your head. No, absolutely not. But trust me. Yep. It was famous. It wasn't called Abbey Road Studios for nothing. Was it called Abbey Road Studios? Yeah, it was. <laughs> just making sure I'm not just naming the album over and over. Uh, Return of the Jedi, Star Wars. Wow, those took place on Abbey Road? Well, not the, the soundtracks were recorded there. Oh, not the film. No, they take place... Uh, on the moon of Endor. The, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. <coughs> I didn't see a lot of, of like... Uh, trees with Ewoks in it when I was there. Yeah. Even though London has all kinds of goofy stuff, it could there could be. Uh, Lord of the Rings movies were uh, the music was recorded there. So the concert itself, to sum up this 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 thirty minutes, it's worth seeing in theaters. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. The, this four K sounds great. Trust me, I know my four K, and this sounded fantastic. And it's just. I don't know. It's just amazing that that was before they even went into their incredibly creative period. Yeah. Like up to that point, they were great songwriters, the great live performers. But to think, just six months after this, they're going to all have mustaches and they're going to start doing the most creative music you can loading, imagine. Yeah, pretty much loading tape in backwards mm-hmm. and, and just recording scary bird sounds and sitars and yeah. And by the time they got to the White Album, they were just it's just everything was innovation. Yeah, you know. And there is an incredible jump. If you listen, it, it's, I, I'll go through periods where I won't listen to the Beatles for a while, and then I'll listen to them again, and I'll sort of feel like I have fresh ears. Yeah. And you listen to that early stuff, and it just sounds like your average garage rock band or something with yeah. really catchy tunes. But then you'll listen to stuff off Magical Mystery Tour, and it almost doesn't even sound like a band. You can't even imagine it's the same band. Yeah, you, you can't even imagine. And it's, I don't know. I can't rave about them enough, man. Yeah. I love the Beatles. Well, yeah, here's, here's a fun little cute fact. The first concert I ever went to mm-hmm. was in 1994, I think. Mm-hmm. 
maybe even 93. It was a long time ago. I was a very young lad. Mm-hmm. And it was a tribute Beatles band called 1964. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't know these guys, they, they are as authentic as they can possibly be. They still play. They're probably as old as the real Beatles now. Uh, I was going to say, I feel like they just came last year through Smogville. Yeah, so they're probably like in their 60s now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they play the authentic instruments. Um, they look like the beat. Like the Ringo looks exactly like Ringo. But they only play songs up to, to help? Uh, or what? I, no, they just they only do songs that the Beatles would have played live. So they were they're like kind of the Ed Sullivan style Beatles. Okay, but, but I mean, up they do to, like, they, they do don't like, play anything post Revolver. No, they do Yellow Submarine from Revolver, and that's it. Is there? That's a real cr- crowd pleaser. Oh, yeah, of course. <coughs> Is there a does does the drum the fake Ringo even sing that song? Yeah. So so they even do the parts. Oh, of, they do everything. They do the moves. I mean, they are like spot on imitators. Okay. Tribute bands are an interesting thing. I saw a Queen tribute band recently, too. They were mm-hmm. awesome. That's another topic. Is there a late 60s Beatles cover band? Well, when I was on a cruise... Oh, this is going to be a good In 2006, <laughs> there, was, there was a Beatles band. Like, that was your in-cruise entertainment. And it was the entire... They changed their outfits. They had three costume no. changes. So they did, like, Ed Sullivan Mop Top Beatles. And they said, you know, the Beatles stopped performing after 1966, but these songs are so great, they deserve to be heard live. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a little break. Then they'd come back, and they're in the Sgt. Pepper outfits. Oh, lovely. And then they'd take a break, and they'd come back in, like, the Let It Be, mm-hmm. like, you know, Paul in his white shirt and vest. And, and you were, like, an authentic <laughs> audience member eating your baked Alaska. Oh, yeah, my Just second helping of, d- uh, <laughs> of, of trout. Like, I can't say between the trout and the steak. You know, you can have both. Okay. <laughs> Give me a big plate. Yep. Break out the giant Beatles plate. So let's talk about let, let, we. This has been all fun and games, and we've been. Talk- oh, real quick though, real quick though, that concert. Oh, okay. in, in 1994. So I went with a couple of my friends from school. Okay. And uh, their dad picked us up uh-huh. and gave us a ride. Buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> this was in this is 1994. It's now 2016. Mm-hmm. I am now dating the daughter of one of the Beatles. Yes. Wait a minute, dating. The, dad, the daughter the dad of the guy that, that drove you? The dad that drove us to the first concert. I was friends with this, two of the sons. So, this... so we went, the dad drove, oh. and I was like sort of just vaguely aware that they had a little sister. So this is a great example of revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, 20 years later, you got revenge on that dad for that buzzkill drive. <laughs> where you're just trying to sniff glue and <laughs> the stuff we did before concerts, and he's just like, be sure to be back here precisely at 10 p.m. And you thought, I will get... No, he went to the concert with us. I will us, get even. He's, he was... Uh, I, like, <laughs> I like your line of thinking. That I, wanted to, I went to this concert at Symphony Hall, and I wanted to sniff glue and, and drink a 40 when I was 13 years old <laughs> at a Beatles tribute band. That's what like, I did. Like, oh, at, man, <laughs> I, I hope they play Hard Day's Night. Because I'm going to be Quick, way stuff high is, stuff is box wine spray down paint. your pants. <laughs> you drank that entire <laughs> bottle of vermouth, not knowing it's just a mixer. Uh-huh. You're like it was four dollars. Look, I got it, and it's seventeen percent alcohol. I got vermouth and I got a, a can of Zima, mm-hmm. and then I got this mini uh, can of gold spray paint I stole from the the shop class at school. We're gonna huff this, and then oh man, when they play, you say it's your birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything worked out okay, I guess. Yeah. So this has been, like I said, this has been all fun and games and, and upbeat, fun stuff. But let's get to a mis- mystery of the mysterious. <laughs> yes, 
Yes, indeed. Let's talk about the the real reason. The real truth about the Beatles. About why they stopped touring in mm-hmm. 1966. Uh, that's because on November 9th, 1966, after a fight in the studio, mm-hmm. Paul McCartney jumped into his Aston Martin and sped away and died in a terrible car crash. Yes, he did. He died. No shoes <laughs> on, probably. Naturally, what did the Beatles do? They hire a lookalike. A right. guy who had earlier in life won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest. Do you know how much money was involved? They had no other choice but to cover it up. No, they can't just admit that he's dead. Right. They'd be ruined. Yeah, <laughs> they would. So all you can do is invite this guy and, and hope he's a decent songwriter. That's right. And, and amazingly, he has an identical voice to Paul, which was a great bonus. Yeah, that he has got Paul's voice. He had and to learn how to same play bass left-handed. <laughs> Yeah, which is really hard, I imagine. In a lot of ways, maybe uh, Billy Shears, his name was Billy Shears. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, maybe he was even more talented than Paul McCartney. I know, that's what made, that's pretty incredible. I mean, Live and Let Die is a pretty good song. I don't know if Paul could have written that. I don't think he could have. It wasn't. He was too cutesy. It was too much of like, I love you, yeah. I let, I'm true <laughs> to you. He doesn't have the depth for Live and Let Die. But of course, uh, I mean, the, the rest of the Beatles, how can they, how can they hold this back? You know, they mm-hmm. want to keep up the charade, but... Maybe they would sneak little clues in their last few Well, it's, it was the guilt. Yeah. They thought, we, we, this is a big cover-up, and then they just couldn't sleep at night. They're splashing water in their faces, looking in the mirror, like, who have I become? So they thought, let's at least let the audience know when they're high, they can look at the cover of, say, Abbey Road. Yeah. And know that, that Paul's clearly dead. Yeah. Is, is that the first one? Is it Abbey Road, the first indication? They didn't start noticing it till Abbey Road, and then they went back and because found it's, other stuff. Because then Magical Mystery Tour, the walrus, is a huge... Is that it, yeah. right? Yeah. That's well, we're the gonna, We're going to break this okay, down. Okay, let's now, break it down. For anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, in the late 60s, after Abbey Road, there was this rumor going around that Paul was killed in a car crash and replaced with a lookalike. And then these clusters, as they were called... We started looking, analyzing the songs, looking at the album covers, mm-hmm. finding all the evidence uh, proving the theory. So the first printed appearance of the rumor, and this is from hoaxes.org, because I like to give credit to things when appropriate. Right. It's the right thing to do. Uh, September 17th, 1969, uh, Tim Harper wrote an article for uh, the student newspaper of Drake University. So, called so is were, Beatle Paul McCartney dead? So were they still together in '69? That was right around when they broke up, right? Yes. No, I think this was this was right around when Abbey Road came out. Okay. So they haven't officially broken up yet. So this theory was going around before they'd actually broken up. Yeah. Wow. So it was a rumor, and then this guy wrote this article, uh, and then it just took off from there. And there was this urban legend that a DJ had uh, vanished for exposing it. What actually happened is the DJ was talking about it on the air, and uh, management removed him from the air because he was supposed to be playing songs <laughs> and not spending 38 minutes talking about this Paul is Dead rumor. So he was fired for not doing his job? He was basically, yeah. That's ridiculous. Fired it was for not, clearly a cover-up. Yeah, but, but the rumor going around was like, because, you know, back then there's no internet. Right. So it's like, yeah, this DJ in New York like uncovered it and then vanished. And then gone. So he's on a magical mystery tour. He's been spirited away to some secret Beatles island. Wow. So who do you think actually kidnapped him? Were the actual Beatles doing the kidnapping? It was, I mean, the Beatles uh, by this point obviously had some sort of kidnapping army. They, well, I don't know, because you look at the cover of Magical Mystery Tour, they clearly have disguises. You look at the cover of Sgt. Ah! Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, they clearly have pseudonyms. 
That's true. So they can, they're sort of like. They're like, uh, wow, they're like uh, Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Yes, or like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, the most famous detective that would wear disguises. Uh huh. You just think, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, here comes a giant man sized walrus and a guy that's some kind of horrific Easter bunny. I guess I'll just continue being a DJ. And then you're just pulled away by these giant, fierce animals. Yeah. So, uh, so if someone actually saw the DJ being, being spirited away, they would think he was attacked by horrific, huge animals. <coughs> we need animal control. We need tranquilizer There's guns. There's a hippo. There's a bunny, a rooster, and a walrus. It's, you know, all the barnyard animals are there. And the African safari animals. And some sort of whimsical... Military yeah, the, guys? They, they, they made their escape in a brightly colored submersive vehicle. A submarine, I think they're called. A yellow U-boat. A yellow U-boat. <laughs> Could be the Germans. They're back! <laughs> World War II Part 2? Paul's dead. Hitler's alive. That's right. So, uh, so we, kept... we actually have a theory that Hitler didn't die and became Joey Ramone, remember? Oh yeah! Did we talk about that on this podcast? No, not this one. It was. It, was it a might long have time just ago. been a real life conversation. Yeah, it could be. But we, but me and Brighton, being the cloosters we were, we figured out that Hitler didn't actually die. But the big cover up is he had to grow his hair out yeah. to be Joey Ramone. Became Joey Ramone, and that was kind of penance for the big misunderstanding back in World War II. I don't really remember any of the details. I don't that. either. Just that Joey Ramone is Hitler. Yeah, naturally. Moving. Well, just go to our website, crazymentallyillpeople.com. Yeah. <laughs> You can buy our pamphlet. Send a self-addressed envelope and fi- a suggested $5 donation mm-hmm. for our Xerox pamphlet. But don't send it to us. It has to, we, we don't give out our address. No. Uh, so so going, working backwards to Sergeant Pepper, there's a floral arrangement. Um, there's white flowers that form uh, a left-handed base, or, or does it spell out the word Paul? I actually brought the records with me today. Let's examine it, because we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, does, is that P-A-U-L and then a, another shape? Question mark? It looks more P-A-U-L like... P-A-U-L question mark. It looks more to me like <laughs> a, A-R-O-D, a, A-Rod. I'm guessing it's A-Rod. Oh, it could be. Of the New York Yankees. Free A-Rod. Yeah. I, I'm going to guess that this is more of an A-Rod thing, because it doesn't look like Paul to me at all. It could also be maybe R-I-O-O, like Rio. Oh, like that, uh, isn't that an animated movie about a parrot? Yeah, it's an animated parrot cartoon movie. So then uh, there's a hand above Paul's head, which a lot of this stuff is, is like, oh, that's a classic symbol of death. A hand above your head? Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or just stuff people are making up. But that does seem like a Christian, like, blessing, baptism type thing, doesn't it? Well, to me, the biggest clue that these are imposters playing the Beatles is the fact that the real Beatles are directly to the left of the band. And but, look how sad Ringo and, looks. Yeah, Ringo is clearly not hiding his devastation that yeah. Paul is dead. In fact, Paul even looks, looks upset that he's dead. Well, they're hiding in plain sight. Right. If you, if, to the keen eye, if you look at the Sgt. Pepper's cover and you look just to the left of the brightly colored Beatles band... The real Beatles are the real on Beatles the are cover. There. Wow! Right there, <laughs> like you said, hiding in plain sight. That is genius. I can't believe we uncovered this. We might have cracked this white. Marlon open. Brando's there too, the fifth Beatle, as we all know. Yeah. Wow. So okay, we're making progress. <laughs> we, we, we've broken through the cover of this one. So those red flowers—they spell out Beatles, but there's an O there. 
So it's saying be at Leso. Leso is the Greek island where you get spirited off to when you solve the mystery. Is this really from the website? Yes, be at Leso. Be at Leso. Leso. Greek island. It makes sense. It's adding up. Um, there's a toy Aston Martin in the lap of the uh, of a of, I don't know somewhere in the lap of a rag doll. Did and he crashed his Aston Martin? Did he actually have an Aston Martin? <clears throat> uh, he had a Mini Cooper. I thought the Aston. I thought that was James Bond that had that. Car. Yeah, he probably would have had one. Did it, you think it had machine guns and stuff in it and like oil slick? No, he'd he'd need it for all the fans. Oh, probably. He'd yeah. probably have to have the oil slick, the smoke screen, the uh, ejector seat. It'd, it'd have to be the straight up spy hunter car. Yeah. Um, now, if you use a mirror mm-hmm. and place it in the middle of the phrase "lonely hearts," so you have to place it right in the center, be like up like this way, or yeah. or in the middle, like 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 underneath, like horizontal. Oh, in the middle of lonely hearts, right in the middle of the word "lonely hearts." Okay, it spells out um, "I one x he die." So "I <laughs> one" means eleven. X is Roman numeral for nine, so that's November 9th. He die. <laughs> so it was like it's like unfrozen caveman lawyer figured this out it's, it's uh luckily in 1969 nobody was doing any drugs so there's no way that this could just be a coincidence of someone being on drugs and holding yeah. a mirror up to a beatles album cover yeah it obviously someone sober and really smart and a caveman probably figured out that he die so he die x i won X, he died. I won, X, he died. So let's think about this in, and to use a wrestling term, kayfabe. Let's okay. imagine that this is real. Okay. What the hell? That's a... Was, it, was this George Martin coming up with this or John? Well, okay, it's, no, it's whoever wants to no, cover up the death. It, design it so it says... Well, if the Beatles themselves were, were doing the actual kidnapping of people that discovered the truth, I imagine that they... Like, how big of the, could the circle be that actually knew Paul died? It's got to yeah. be just under 10 people. Yeah. I guess George Martin is a, a a good guess, but I feel like he wouldn't know. He, he he's in the studio doing stuff. He seems like a straight shooter. I don't think he'd go along with it. But Brian yeah. Epstein. But um, he no, he was already dead by this point. Brian, he was for real dead. No, he wasn't. Oh, Brian Epstein faked his own death in order to in order cover to up. reveal the, the the real death. He had a feeling like he'd been in a car before with Paul, and he knew Paul couldn't drive worth a shit. And so he realized that in order to make the Beatles continue, he had to fake his own death in order to cover up the inevitable death of Paul in a year or two. Yeah, so he died a couple months after Sgt. Pepper came out. Oh, the, so his then, work so was he, done. So he planted these clues and then uh-huh. faked his death because it got out of hand. Because mm-hmm. <coughs> he, he probably was at Lesso. That's where he is right now. I know. He's, I'm sure he's, he's, he's still a young man probably. So on the back, Paul has a patch on his arm. Uh, first of all, why is Paul turned around when the rest of us, rest of the Beatles are facing us? It was big a misunderstanding. It was, it was a very confusing photo shoot from what I've read. Well, the photographer said, okay, now do a silly one. Uh-huh. Supposedly he's wearing an arm patch that says OPD, which means officially pronounced dead. Where is this patch? I don't see it. It's on the back cover? Yeah. It doesn't even look like he has a patch on his jacket. Huh. Unless that's not Paul, the one that's backwards. Unless there's another Paul somewhere on this cover that I'm not noticing. Yeah, maybe it's like a magic eye thing where you got to let your eyes unfocus. Well, it does have kind of the lyrics. They have all the lyrics <coughs> printed on top of a photo of the Beatles, so it it is. Oh, you know what? I see a dolphin. There's a dolphin. Oh, nice. And there's some triangles. 
But no Paul. No, no Paul. That's interesting. That's interesting. They'd well, leave that it, out of the yeah. magic eye. And a dolphin is a, a sea creature. So is a walrus. And a walrus is a symbol of death, maybe. Mm-hmm. So Magical Mystery Tour, all the, there's all these psychedelic stars and all that. I'm not sure what you're referring to by psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> this is a straightforward <laughs> album cover. So if you hold that into a mirror and upside down, I think, it's a phone number. And when you call that number is when they come get you. The Beatles would come kidnap you? That's when the Beatles come kidnap God, you. God, they were busy, man. This really was eight days a week. Yeah. Because on the days they're not recording albums or touring, they're kidnapping people that discover the truth that they actually made clues about for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Why would they set up a hotline? I guess it's to, that's the easiest way to catch who's found out. Yeah. <laughs> set up a hotline. You've got to pay two ninety five a month for that answering machine. Well, then there's one rumor that... Um, a kid called and then had to answer a bunch of Beatles trivia questions. Ah, uh, you had to run the gauntlet. Yeah, so then when he got them right, he was told he'd won a trip to Pepperland. They sent him a letter and said, lick the stamp on the envelope. When he did so, he experienced an LSD trip. Uh, classic. And then classic jumped, Beatle hygiene. And then right? jumped to his death. Jumped to his death? <laughs> yeah. Immediately. Immediately, yeah. He, that's, he, that's a, he got a, off easy, in my opinion, for what the Beatles would probably do to him. Yeah. Wow. So then, this then, is Cold, Cold War era Beatles. You got to keep that in mind. Oh, that's true. Oh, maybe this kid was a spy. It was pretty ruthless time for the Beatles. Maybe the Beatles were working for the Queen mm-hmm. to suss out spies. Yeah, because spies would be good at figuring out this spycraft. Well, just just look at the the masters of disguise they are. Yeah, and and if you really think about it, they had the perfect cover of being songwriters and musicians. Yeah, like that's what what better spy cover is that. And that's how good they were, that they actually were really good at writing songs, even though they were just simple spies. Yeah. No, in spy school, they taught him how to do that. Yeah, that's, that's a deep cover. I yeah. like it. Uh, so Paul's wearing a walrus suit. Of course, we all know that walrus means corpse in Greek, which isn't true. Everybody knows yeah. that lie. Yeah. But that was part Everyone of it. Everyone knows that made walrus. up fact. I am the walrus mentions Stupid Bloody Tuesday, which is the last time John saw Paul alive. Stupid Bloody Tuesday. What do you call it? I am the Eggman. Who's an egg? Who's the Eggman? Humpty Dumpty. What did Humpty do? Hump, hump, Humpty Dumpty do? Cracked his head open. He couldn't be put <laughs> back together again. Exactly, just is like that, Paul. Is that what Eggman means? Uh, according to this. Well, then, of course, most famously, at the end of Strawberry Fields, which is just the most hellish nightmare bit of music the Beatles ever recorded. <laughs> and Strawberry Fields is a great song, and then it fades out, and then there's 30 seconds of just straight hell. Yeah, the best part of Strawberry Fields is when you doze off listening to it at night in headphones, and you wake yeah. up screaming. Yeah, there's like an alarm bell, <laughs> and then this flute that could only be played by Beelzebub himself. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding. Oh, it's awful. And then, and then you hear John's scary voice say, I buried Paul. I've never noticed that part. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, God, we got to listen to that. I think the main reason is because I push skip every, 100% of the fucking time <laughs> yeah. when that comes up. <coughs> this c- cacophony of just awful noise. buried Paul. Supposedly he's actually saying cranberry sauce. It's really interesting that they would go through such lengths to cover it up and then such lengths to leave clues. That's the, inter- re- that's the fascinating thing. It's really thing. a fascinating yeah. way to, 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 to cover up a murder. Well, then in the White Album, Revolution Number 9, when you play that backwards, the, the part uh, that goes number 9. Another fun one. <laughs> yeah, another awful f- nightmare song. 
I mean, like David Lynch wishes he could ever create anything as unsettling as Revolution 9. For real. So, but the part where it's chanting number nine, number Mm -hmm. nine, you play that backwards, it says, turn me on, dead man. Turn me on, dead man. (laughs) What does that even mean? Aside from referring to a dead man. Turn me on. (laughs) And so how would that work? Would he have to record the phrase turn me on dead man a bunch of times and then play it backwards until it sounded like someone saying number nine that it would be very difficult because almost everything that's backwards sounds weird so was he experimenting with different things so he's like paul is dead man yeah and then it's like no that doesn't sound like anything and then he's like i don't know turn me on dead man play it backwards number nine oh perfect yeah (laughs) i don't know it's really hard to listen to that when you have a CD. I've I've tried to do the back masking with CDs. Doesn't work. Just at all. a loud yeah. scraping noise. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of "I'm So Tired," there's some weird backwards mumbling, and that says, "Paul is dead, man. Miss him. Miss him." So they were they were clearly a band in pain. Yeah. And then in "Glass Onion," he says the walrus was Paul, and again, walrus, as we all know, means corpse in Greek. Cor- corpse in Greek. Yes. Uh, and then, most famously and iconically, of course, the cover of "Abbey Road." Yes. Um, so John leading the way in all white. He is a god figure or a priestly figure. Ring- no, John is God in white. Okay. The priest in black is Ringo. Now Paul has his other foot forward. Everyone has their what is it? Their left their, foot their, forward. Their left foot forward. He has his right foot forward. And he's he's barefoot. And we all know that corpses are buried without shoes. Another completely true lie. No, completely true thing. And then uh, George looks like kind of a bum. He's the, he's the grave digger. I kind of don't think George was even in the band at this point. I kind of think it's just a coincidence. He was probably walking to his job. Oh, and he yeah. just happened to be walking across the street at the same time as the three Beatles. Oh, that was so awkward, and they were waiting for the light. Yeah, by the time they got to the other side, it was this really awkward pause where they're like, oh, what are you doing, mate? He's yeah. like, well, you know, I'm going to, to work at the, the chicken place that he works at. Yeah. Makes fried chicken. Great fried chicken. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Or it could be. This is another theory. That this Abbey Road street is so busy that Paul's shoes came off because he was these guys are all running. Oh, they look like they're yeah. walking, but they're just running really kind of stiffly. Yeah. You know, when people do the pose, they never do it right. They always have their arms out way weird. When you see people like, oh, we're gonna go take our Abbey Road photo. They do? They always have like their arms out at forty five degree angles. I think it's because just the way the legs look, and you're, it's one of those things where you're like brainstorming. Yeah, like, you don't really they, remember. What do they look like? Yeah. Um, so that white beetle, and I'll remind you that Paul McCartney is a white beetle. Okay. The license plate says 28 if. <laughs> he would have been 28 if he were alive. So is, so is, who is this then that's playing Paul? This is the actor? That's still Billy Shears. Who... That's, that's Billy Shear. So the, the, the guy on the cover of Abbey Road is, is Billy Shear. Yeah. He looks a lot like Paul. He looks a lot like him. Well, he won the lookalike contest. Like almost unbelievably (coughs) a lot like him. Huh. And then on the back, uh, the Beatles, there's a crack in the the name of the Beatles. Uh Uh-huh. Because they are no longer whole. Ah. So one thing that's never been satisfied to me, though, is who was writing these songs? Was Billy Shears writing the songs credited to Paul? Because they're great songs. Well, we talk about Did he write Hey Jude? Well, we we talked about how there's a big change in pretty much pre and post touring Beatles. Their sound changed dramatically, and that can yeah. only be explained by a new member. Paul was kind of holding them back back you know when they were touring. Yeah. He's writing the same song over and over. Basically, they were all getting fed up and they wanted to to spread their wings more. Luckily, along comes Billy Shear. 
He's crazy. He doesn't wear shoes. He's kind of a wild man. Yeah. And he's writing all kinds of off-the-wall stuff. And that, that, it's great. He's a great songwriter. He's, he's a, a cal, he like Paul McCartney caliber songwriter. Yeah. No, if he wrote Hey Jude and Let It Be mm-hmm. and uh, Silly Love Songs, then yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. So an, an, an additional layer to the rumor is that, so there's, there's the rumor, there's like the level of, yes, he is dead and these are the clues. Then there's the level of, it's a deliberate hoax and the Beatles and the record label were trying to make you think that to sell more records. Okay. Because they did, that when this rumor's going around, their old albums sold like hotcakes. So you're telling me the Beatles had some <laughs> successful albums at this point at in their At this career. point, they did, yes. Interesting. Yes. No, everyone was going back to buy, like Sgt. Pepper, which was two years old at this point, mm-hmm. suddenly went back up near the top of the charts. Is this actually true? Yeah, it is, because everyone wanted to buy it. Everyone wanted to get an extra copy that they could scratch up by playing backwards. Wow. But that seems really absurd. Like, let's, that, and that's it seems, a real long con. And, and it seems like a, a, not only a long con, but a long shot. Because you're thinking, yeah. what would make people buy albums? Maybe they'll backmask them if we make up something about you have to backmask it. Yeah. And, you know, how do we, how do we move these leftover Beatles records we've got? And, and, and how do you perpetuate a rumor like that mm-hmm. if it didn't originate from them? Yeah. So they hired a guy to write some little unknown newsletter and then have it just... It's like... Your boss coming in and saying, I want to I wanna go viral. And you say, what does that mean? We've got to go viral. We <laughs> exactly. Need, are we it, trending? It, are we trending right now? Are we hashtagging? It's yeah. the same thing in 1969. Yeah. You've got to hire someone to write a newsletter that goes viral, where yeah. everyone starts reading it. This theory just comes together. Because this, again, we must remind the audience, there was no websites. Mm-hmm. This is a word of mouth rumor. Word of mouth and local FM DJs. Right. Never to be heard from again. Yeah. Well, I would say, I would say that pretty confidently I can say it's true that Paul definitely died. Mm-hmm. And that Billy Shears has had a very wonderful life, a blessed he has, life. He has. I actually saw Billy Shears a couple of years ago, like three years ago. Yeah. It was, it was incredible seeing the fifth Beatle. I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where I never thought I would actually see one of the Beatles. And I guess mm-hmm. I didn't, but he played a lot of Beatle covers. Yeah. He did. He did a great job. I saw him recently too, uh, mm-hmm. in two thousand two, which was fourteen mm-hmm. years ago. It's relative. I, I saw. When did I see? Two thousand fourteen. I don't know. It's yeah, pretty, probably. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty recently. It was pretty recently. Yeah. And he looked great. He talked about John like he knew him. It was that was kind of a, a, yeah. a total kayfabe moment. Yeah. And he he talked. In fact, he talked a lot about the Beatles like he knew them. Like yeah, like he was there, and it was the most incredible cover show I've ever seen because he played thirty six songs, including Wing songs, which yeah. I guess he wrote all the Wing songs. Yeah, so you did see the guy from Wings. I saw the guy from Wings. He did a bunch of of Beatles covers. <laughs> it was a great show. He looked a lot like Paul, and played that violin bass, mm-hmm. left handed. That's right. So, wow. So rest in peace, Paul. Well, that's not the only Beatles mystery out there. This mm-hmm. is a quick one. Okay. This is uh, coming to us from blackbag.gawker.com. Okay. In February 2009, a man waving signs interrupted a meeting of the Sarasota City Commission. He said, Stephen King is the worst criminal the state of Florida has ever harbored. I'm from California. I'm known by 10% of Florida. I'm known by 50% of California. I'm the man exposing the truth about John Lennon's murder. And before he was escorted out, he declared, Stephen King shot John Lennon. Wow. This is a bombshell. Yeah, and this is uh, this guy has a website, LennonMurderTruth.com. 
basic the the entire basis of the evidence is that Mark David Chapman kind of looks like Stephen King. That's the whole. That's it. Pretty much it. I don't think he looks very much like Stephen King. Well, like Stephen King in the seventies. I guess I don't know. Or in the eighties. Holy, he does look like Stephen King. Yeah, a little bit. Wow. And Stephen was, King's uh, a little cuter. He looks kind of like a chipmunk. So Reagan hired Stephen King to kill him because Nixon. President Reagan. Yeah, it was President Reagan because Nixon wanted to, Nixon's greatest failure is that he never successfully killed John Lennon. Yeah. That's we, everyone everyone knows that's the, his biggest shame, too. A- everyone knows that. So Reagan, when he got elected, he's like, all right, Dick, I'm mm. going to kill him. I'm going to get best-selling horror novelist Stephen King to do it. Mark David Chapman. Wait, wait. In 1980, I'm not sure he was the best-selling horror novelist. Oh, yet. no. He was, he was big by then. Was he? Yeah. By 80? Yeah. What had come out by 1980? <clears throat> I thought he was most, I thought he got really famous in the early 80s. Um, that's when they started making his movies and stuff. But the Shining, the Shining movie came out in. Oh yeah, I guess that's the, the mid seventies, yeah. huh? Even the Stand was nineteen seventy eight. Why would Reagan hire such a high profile person to kill Lennon? So by then he had had Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, The Stand. Oh, it was like the golden era. Dead of, Zone, of his, yeah, his, his best work. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so yeah, why why him? I don't know. I guess he has the perfect. Uh, you gotta cover. buy this guy's pamphlet. Oh. I was going to say he has the perfect cover because he could say, oh, I was just trying to uh, maybe come up with a new idea for a book. So I was testing out my gun and and John Lennon jumped in the way. Yeah, he was just going to. To me, it sounds a lot like John Lennon's assassination sounds a lot like just a big accident where he was just, you know how it's New York. You're going to be just shooting your guns, testing them out. Yeah, New York in 1980 when it was all yeah, scary and 1980s stuff. New York, you could legally <laughs> discharge a firearm. Subway's you, as, covered in graffiti. As long as you were shooting at a rat or a homeless person. Yeah. And so I think John Lennon is just unlucky. Walked right out of the building, right into Stephen King's cover-up, though. He really was there to yeah. kill him. But, but then they didn't arrest him. How did they arrest the wrong guy then, according uh, to he this was already the, the police had already picked him up. Chapman? They just grabbed a guy that looked like Stephen King and picked him up and pinned it on him. Why wouldn't the, the police arrest Stephen King? Like, why, why would they pick up a guy before the actual murder? They were, they were hired by Reagan, No, they too? were in on it. Yeah, it was, it was, he's a patsy. This goes all the way to the top, all the way yeah. to the White House. Yeah. Huh, that's an unfortunate patsy. Why not just not capture anybody? Why not just have the police look the other way and say an unnamed, un, unknown assailant shot Lennon? And then just not capture anyone and be like, well, okay. That- oh, no, you can't have a, a rock star murder on the loose. I guess it's the MO of the government, huh? <laughs> After Kennedy was killed, they, they, they got patsies you gotta for blame, that. Yeah, you got to blame them. And then it's, just, then it's wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the gunman was loose, then the rumors would have spread. Oh, do you know what? Also, and Stephen King's the only one deranged enough to, to do it. Exactly. Look at the, his body of work. That's clearly not from a, a sane mind. That's yeah. from a deranged individual. He's deranged. And so, of course, he's going to happily put his famous writing career on the line to murder someone yeah. for an old grudge from not even the, pre- the president, uh, the president's friend, apparently. Yeah. I didn't realize that Nixon and Reagan were so tight. No, I mean, Reagan would kill for, for Nixon. Would kill it. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Yeah. I want to see the movie where it's, it's Nixon going to Reagan and being like, you know, we, we've always been best friends. And what would best friends do for each other, Ronnie? Then have John Lennon killed. Ronnie would go, I know what I need to do, Nixon. Best friend. You're my best friend. We're, we've we've, we've uh, <laughs> spent our entire adult lives getting to this point where we're above the law. We're presidents. We do anything we want. 
And we've, we've done this just the only, in fact, the only reason Reagan ran for president was to, to make sure that Lenin was killed. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Jimmy Carter wouldn't have done it. He didn't have the nerve. No. That's why Nixon and Carter aren't, aren't friends anymore. Aside from Nixon being dead. Yeah. Or, or did he fake his death? Is he on that island? Is he on, in the Beatles right now? According to Beatles album. <laughs> 90, 90 year old Richard Nixon, quite a songwriter. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That, that latest Wings album. <laughs> this guy drives around uh, Ocean Beach in San Diego in a van that says Stephen King murdered Lennon. He, I lived right by him for a while. Yeah, Ocean Beach. That's where I saw a dog with dreadlocks. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, and his, his big proof is that it, if it wasn't true, Stephen King would have sued him by now. <laughs> now, on this guy's website, there is a letter from Stephen King that says, I did, didn't kill John Lennon, and I think you know that as well as I do. Why don't you let it go? Sincerely, Stephen King. And Stephen King's assistant has confirmed that that is an authentic letter. And, but it also an admission of guilt. Because why else would he write, let it go, let it go, let exactly. it go, let it go. This murder accusation, let it go. Well, what was the biggest hit of the last year, too? Another song called Let It Go. Right, a cover. Frozen, just like Richard Nixon's head on that island. Wow. Just like Ted Williams. With a big crack down his forehead. Oh, God. Ted Williams now can. looks like Frankenstein. His head is frozen, and, and there's a tuna can. When they, when they put Ted Williams' head back on, <laughs> he's literally going to look like Frankenstein because he'll have a crack down his middle of his face. Yeah. And he's also, they're going to have to use bolts to bolt to his head, his onto head onto on something. to something. Some sort of synthetic body. Right. And hopefully, it's a giant body with really thick soled shoes. Maybe wooden soles made by our very own Jasper Francis in the Smogville Hall of Fame. Really makes you think. It really does. Thank you. 